You're listening to Inside the Wire with Ray and Josh. They'll never take me alive. Hey guys, thanks for choosing ITW Podcast. My name is Ray Kessler. And I'm Josh Buckles. We're just getting started here. You know, we're two veterans that serve together, and uh, we're uh, trying to help the veteran communities grow and to heal and to kind of transition into service and through their service and out of service. So uh, I'm going to pass the torch off to Josh now. Yeah, so like like Trey said, you know, the reason why we started this podcast up is, you know, is to get the voice out there of other veterans, um, get some veterans on here get some people, some spouses, you know, people that are just affiliated with the military life, um, going through struggles or, or, or whatever it may be. Um, we started this up to get their on there and get their stories out. Uh, if they have organizations, if you guys have businesses, nonprofit startups that you guys want, you know, to, to get the word out, start marketing, you know, it's the great, we want to get those guys on here and, uh, just be, you know, eventually a, uh, a resource for the veteran community. Exactly. I think you hit the nail on the head. Ultimately, what I I would really hope this to be is a is a resource. You know, we're we're kind of starting this as a therapy for ourselves to kind of tell our story and to speak and to be able to share with other veterans our experiences because we understand how difficult that it can be. You know, yeah. uh, it, there's so many different layers to what being a, a warfighter, a soldier, a, a marine, a navyman, whatever the the title that you hold, you know, service is service. And we're going to be talking to a lot of different people. We're going to be getting their stories. We're going to be getting their sides. We're going to be hearing what, uh, you know, service was like before us. You know, we, we are a modern army brotherhood, uh, the brotherhood that Josh and I share, you know, we, we served in the middle East, but, uh, we want to talk to people that have been in Vietnam, you know, Fallujah, any, anywhere. Anyone that's willing to speak with us about their military experience, uh, we want to talk to you. So definitely reach out to us on all of our socials. Um, we'll get those posted up for you, Instagram, Facebook. Yeah, right now we're on uh, Instagram. You can follow us, like the uh, post at uh, ITW underscore podcast. Uh, we're still working on getting uh, our name out there on the other platforms. Uh, it's coming together, but like uh, like you said, man, you know, for me, the reason why, you know, this was such a big deal uh, to start up is because, as you can probably agree, me, um, we started talking, me and you, uh, on a daily basis after, you know, we got out. Our friendship, you know, carried over, our brotherhood carried over um, from the military, you know, it wasn't just, you know, why we were soldiers, you know, we, we made that bond and we'll be brothers forever. So, you know, for me and Trey... Um, we went through our struggles. We're still going through our struggles, you know, PTSD, depression, um, you know, stories I have for myself of, uh, you know, substance abuse and things like that. We'll get into later. But uh, all this originally started just me and Kessler talking. And uh, at one point, you know, it kind of dawned on both of us that this is a form of therapy, just reaching out to each other. Um, I've never been one for a counselor or a therapist. So, uh, you know, talking to my brothers and the ones who understand what I'm going through and I understand what they're going through. um, That's just what we kind of realized what was going on and, you know, figured out that's what works for us. And, uh, kind of want to do the same thing for all the veterans out there, you know, come on the podcast, share your story. We understand where you're coming from. Um, and maybe we don't, and, you know, we want to. So I think today, you know, for we, in the first episode, we're going to take it and, you know, jump right into it. Uh, we want to share our stories, you know, before the military, during the military and after the military and everything in between. So, you know, Trey, one of the things I really haven't asked you in the past, you know, 
which I should have, you know, considering, uh, considering we've known each other for so long now, um, is your life prior to the military, you know, for the most part, obviously I know what it was during, um, but you know, some things always, you know, I've always wanted to know, you, know, you mind sharing your story about, you know, where you grew up and, you know, what your life was like before the military and, and why you joined? Certainly. Yeah. No, I, um, my first memories really start back when I was young. I was four. Uh, the first thing I actually remember is losing my uh, toy parachute man. That was when I was living in Texas. So you were born. So you were born in Texas. Yeah, yeah. I was born in Texas, uh, in in Midland, Odessa, oil town. My folks were living there, going to preaching school. My dad was in uh, what would some people would call seminary school, school of preaching down in Lubbock, Texas. Um, uh, that, that's one of the first memories I have. You know, that's how far back my memory goes. Anyways, moving forward a little bit, we actually spent time in Romania. Um, my parents were missionaries. How long did you live? How long did you live out there uh, before you? Uh, moved about to four years. We were. Uh, I remember being four years old. My brother was one years old when we actually moved to Romania. Um, wow. Okay. So I was there until I was nine. Um, yeah, so it, and I'm not geographically really educated, I guess you can say, but, uh, what's, what's the, is there a language barrier while living in Romania? Oh, cer certainly. So Romanian is, so Romania is located in, uh, Eastern Europe. Um, so it's definitely, uh, kind of an old world culture, uh, from the time that I was there, you know, we had arrived there in, uh, my dad went and visited late 90s uh, because it was a part of his mission work was to kind of scope out a, a spot. And then eventually, in the, I think 99 uh, or early 2000 is when we actually moved to Romania. Um, so my parents were involved in a lot of different uh, humanitarian organizations. So I got to speak in, I mean, as a kid, obviously, uh, I was surrounded a lot by, you know, political leaders. And, you know, so I, I do have an interesting insight to kind of how that government operated during that time period because of my parents' experiences. And, you know, we've spoken about it. But, uh, yeah, so it's, it's kind of like a Spanish-style language. If you know Spanish, Romanian, you can get by. So you... So you're, uh, did you guys, and your parents moved, or you got, excuse me, your parents moved out there and obviously brought you along because of work or what was the decision behind going to Romania? And the reason I ask is because uh, I know you've talked about it once or twice since I've known you, but it really never really dawned on me. You know, that's, that's a huge. Right. So like I was saying, my parents you know were missionaries, so it was a part States. of their, it was a part of their, oh, okay. uh, okay. uh, I don't know what you would call it, part of their schooling or, you know, something that they chose to do afterwards. Yeah, no, really? it was uh, it was definitely something that uh, they were recommended to do. And, uh, you know, it was a very valuable experience because it gave me a perspective that I can guarantee you that 90 percent, if not more, of the United States population doesn't have that perspective of you know, that third world living mentality, you know, because that's really right. what it was. There was, right. you know, we, my mom's got pictures of, you know, uh, horse and buggy carts pulling 
like broken down cars because it was a towing service you know and th this is like in the 90s bro really? so okay. it, it's y you know yeah. you're that you know it's just they're all so far behind the curve you know what I mean on right well it's not it wasn't even like behind the curve bro it was just that they were a third world nation they just were not economically developed at the time because of communism and how it destroyed their country so how was your if that's the case how was your housing situation out there very I mean, nice is it kind of like is it, very nice really? okay. okay um the okay. american dollar was very strong at the time uh so i mean we're talking you could feed a family of four at the time uh, at McDonald's, mm. just to kind of give a perspective, because there was one McDonald's in the in the city of Ploiești where we lived, and you could basic Ploiești. It, it means basically the city Ploiești. of rain is okay. what it translates to, because um, okay. it, it it did rain a lot. Yeah, it was kind of like kind of <laughs> like Seattle, you know, and it's okay. kind of scenario. Okay. Um, so, so. Yeah, you know, it, it was a, definitely a very expansive experience that I got to have. Uh, very young when it happened. I do have quite a bit of memories uh, growing up in Romania. I do remember some of the faces of my friends and, and things of that nature. I do remember when uh, kind of the Internet came out. Uh, we did actually have access to the Internet when we were in Romania, which is kind of that's pretty unique you know that's something that might no so we, so yeah well yes so we were homeschooled um but you know in the advent of the internet we had <clears throat> we had access to lots of different resources uh you know really we're blessed and and it's funny because to give some perspective, we were making $700 a month. That's how much the church was paying my dad and mom to do everything full-time. They were... That was their... And that was their only... Like, they were just full-time employees of the church type deal. Like, they weren't doing any, any type of other... It, so, it no. That's all they did. They, but everything... Right. Right. We were given uh, basically a monthly stipend to sustain our, our needs, but we were essentially working on a somewhat voluntary basis. You know, I say we, but it was it was my parents. My mom helped raise my brother and I. Uh, we were both homeschooled. <clears throat> we uh, we grew up doing uh, all sorts of things together. He'll be on the podcast shortly, uh, and uh, he will be getting out of the Marine Corps sometime in December, so hope to have him on soon. Um, moving forward, moved back from Romania to Texas for a year, and that was my first year of public school in third grade. Uh, and, and did you notice a, at that time I mean, were you old enough to really know a significant difference in living Absolutely. in the United States? Absolutely. You know? Okay. What, what were those differences, like the pros and cons of living in Romania in here? Well, my neighbors... Right. Back, back in that time, I guess. My neighbors' floors age. weren't made of dirt, I guess, was probably the biggest difference. Uh, yeah. We're really? talking third world. Okay. I mean, picture Syrian-style homes, yeah. bro. Like, that's... Ex well, as a nine-year-old, are you? What do you? I mean, what are you feeling when you go to Romania as a nine-year-old? And it's that big of a difference as far as economical structures, you know, like phases or whatever, you know. Yeah. So the beauty of it is that I was so young at the time that I actually didn't know the difference. Uh, okay. I, 
I look back on it and I genuinely don't think that I appreciated uh, or took in as many details as I, I wish I would have. Um, but, you know, I was young. You know, what, do you, what, do you, what can you say? But um, So you get back to Texas? Yeah, we get back to Texas. We spend a year there. And then my dad gets a job preaching out in Arizona. Uh, so we spend seven years in Arizona. That's where I, you know, basically pick up most of my uh, teenage life. I turn 17 and my dad gets a job and moves us up to Wisconsin. Um, we move out to Wisconsin and that was in 2013. Uh, that's where I met my wife, Courtney, is in, uh, in Wisconsin. And uh, we met actually at, at the church that my parents chose to take us to and we ended up going to school together and, uh, you know, happily married with two kids uh so yeah man yep that's and now at what point during your childhood and your 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 upbringing did the army come into play at what at what point did you realize that that's a career path that you wanted to choose so you know ironically i uh you know, I haven't told this story too many times, but, you know, of course, I'm going to be telling it now to everybody. Uh, you know, ironically enough, I joined the army off of a dream. I had a dream that at some point I was uh, sitting down in a big group of people and someone asked in the front of this group of people uh, who had served. And I was the only person that was actually sitting down in the room. And then crazy enough, uh, two days later, my brother had been talking to a recruiter in Minnesota and he actually gave me a call and asked if I had ever thought about joining the army. Uh, I called him up and uh, basically set up a, a conversation and I spoke with him about joining the reserves and you know by the end of the conversation he had me sold on active duty and I was trying to join as an 18 x-ray so now when you had this dream that it that it's like light a fire in your ass or something did you get a spark like you like okay this is what I want to do I mean, were you having more dream, like no. dreams similar to that beforehand? So no, you know, not at all. It, I'm just curious on where on where. Uh, so it was um, it was really the phone call from this recruiter. Like I'd never, I'm telling okay. you, I'd never given my phone number out to a recruiter. Not once in high yeah. school did I go up and do the push ups. Never, never walked in. Yeah, never walked into an office. Never, nothing. So this is your first contact with a recruiter. For the first time at this point, right. So I had okay. never pursued the military other other than you know my dad thought I should have joined the Air Force. So I maybe I talked to a recruiter I think two or three times. I was too fat at the time, and you know they they didn't they didn't want me. It's fine, but you know it's it it didn't. I had no ambition, and for me it was not the I uh, joined it wasn't the dream necessary. It was actually the phone call. Um, that really sunk in for me because the the dude had asked me if I had you know been thinking if I was going to be doing anything and genuinely bro I, at the time I had just ran out of money for going to college without having to get any student loans so it it was just a bunch of pieces falling into place at the same time that really led me to joining um what age, what age did you join bro it was 2016 uh, when I ended up 
starting to talk to Staff Sergeant Zygman. That's what his name was. He's no longer a recruiter. Uh, He was an artilleryman. Or a, uh, he was a fox, so he was a call for fire kind of type guy, um, and yeah, he he definitely he was honest with me after I was in the military. But you know, he he was a recruiter. He he got me uh, as far as signing that contract. But I tell you what, he also gave me one of the the biggest opportunities. You know, to to be successful going forward. So I definitely don't have any uh, ill will towards my recruiter and that's one thing you guys will that's one thing you guys will notice is that it's i definitely drank the kool-aid when i was in the service so i yeah i mean when it comes to drinking the kool-aid it's not necessarily a bad thing you know there was times in all of my term of service that i wish i would have drank the kool-aid took it a little more serious you know maybe not looked you know too much upon the negatives and the and the positives um but that's cool, man. I didn't, you know, I know you, you mentioned, like I said, you mentioned Romania growing up, you know, a couple times when uh, we were serving together. Uh, but I know we got the full story, man. That's pretty cool, you know, to see, you know, not a lot of people get to go out and, and live in a third world country or any other country outside the United States and, you know, be able to survive for nine years, you know, especially at nine years old. So it seems like your, your parents were were uh, pretty stable. It's pretty cool, man. Um, my upbringing was unfortunately a little different than than you know your upbringing and uh what i mean by that is you know for the listeners i'm gonna explain my story and who i am and why you know i joined the military so like i mentioned uh earlier or maybe i didn't mention it i'm from southern california you know so big city life you know and uh was raised by a single mother with you know two little brothers so uh, my father wasn't really in the picture at a young age you know, so uh, typical single mother raising three kids, you know, sometimes my mom worked two jobs and would move around a lot. So, you know, for for me to say I grew up in a specific area, um, it's kind of tough because, you know, like I said, I could tell you I was born in, in Burbank, California. But when you asked me when I was raised or when you asked me where I was raised, uh, it's uh, I can tell you about seven different places, to be honest. Um, and what comes along with sometimes having, a, you know, a mother and not really a father figure in your life is you start to act out. And that's kind of the path I took at a young age and, uh, you know, uh, started acting out and, uh, you know, doing stupid things like ditching school, you know, growing up in elementary school and not showing up and hanging out at the park with the boys and, you know, doing stupid stuff. And, uh, what ultimately that led to is just, you know, me, uh, at one point, I think I was 11 years old, man, my, my, uh, you know, I guess you can say rebelliousness at the time uh, led me to being placed in a group home, you know, for a year and a half and, you know, built a lot of resentment towards my family for that. But uh, end up going back home and end up going to high school, you know, kind of doing the same things and, and playing football. And, you know, for the most part, uh, you know, I had a pretty good childhood, you know, other than my, my actions as being a rebellious child, you know, um, I give a lot of credit from, to my mom for, uh, for raising me the way she did and uh we have a great relationship to this day for it um so for me joining the military man it was more of a an outlet you know when i graduated a uh, uh, high school you know most just like most student athletes i had this dream to go play in the nfl and i believe you know i'm 6'5 250 pounds you know so uh um, and i'm in decent shape for for where i'm at you know and uh you know so i had the talent and everything but uh just like most stu- just like uh <laughs> Just like uh, most student athletes, you know, I didn't 
put as much work into the classroom as I did on the field and my grades suffered for it. And uh, I was one of those kids that kind of barely skimmed by high school. You know, so when I graduated, uh, I was 18 years old. You know, I attempted to do the college football route uh, at JUCO, junior college for a bit and just lost the motivation. You know, I've never really been a, a classroom guy, even though ironically now I'm pursuing a bachelor's degree, but. Uh, where did you go to school? Yeah, so JUCO route. Uh, I played uh, at Mount Sac for a little bit and I bounced around to Riverside City uh, College where, again, I lost a lot of motivation for football. I'll stop showing up for class as well there. You know, I was just kind of just a lost 18 year old. I had no ambitions, no really no goals. And uh, for me, you know, the first thing that came to mind was, you know, my memories of, you know, playing at the football games and kind of always seeing the army recruiters there with a little table you know, and lanyards and, and, and pamphlets and, you know, sitting there all sharp in their ACUs or uh, OCPs or I think it was what, what was it, ASUs back then? The, the... AC, ACUs? Yeah, ACUs, right? Now it's OCPs. Okay, so, yeah, they're the old school uh, shitty, you know, desert uniform that didn't really camouflage you in the desert, that one. So, you know, but seeing that, you know, that was a, you know, that was badass to me, man. You know, these guys are soldiers you know and i didn't really have a concept of what a soldier was you know i had grandparents that served in the uh, uh my father's debt father who's no longer here he passed away but he was a, a veteran served in the marine corps during the vietnam time uh so spent uh, i believe it was a year almost a year and a half overseas in vietnam fighting he was a grunt man so uh i had the understanding of what what the military was and then my mother's father was in the air force reserve as a pilot um and uh, so, so I had a, a military background somewhat, um, although my father didn't serve. So I had a general idea of what the military, you know, stand stood for. So, right, what it could offer. So, and at the time, do I'll be honest with you, man, I was, uh, uh, I've been married now for going on seven years. So my wife was my girlfriend at the time, at 18 years old, we met in high school. And, uh, you know, here I am at 18 years old and me being ambitious and, and having a drive, I didn't want to just be flat broke sitting on my mom's couch eating, you know, potato chips and playing Xbox. And uh, I've always been that kind of way. Like I said, I was a rebellious child. I wanted to be on my own, very independent. To this day, I'm very independent, you know. So, you know, when I turned 18, I wanted to just go get my own place, go get my own job, go get my own car. But Unfortunately, I was too immature at the time to know how to go do those things, right? Go get a job, you know, get credit cards, you know, what, you know, I had no idea what a mortgage was, you know, what a credit score was, and even though I had a credit score at that time, you know, so for me, the, the quickest outlook and honestly, the quickest way to give myself a life is the military. Um, so when I joined, um, like you said, it was the best decision of my life because not only did I get all those things I wanted, but it actually changed my attitude, it changed my behavior, it changed my outlook, it changed, you know, it gave me discipline, leadership, you know, so it really changed me into a better person. Um, so uh, there was a lot of shitty times during my military service, just like a lot of people have them, you know, they're everywhere. Everyone goes through shitty times in the military. Um, but, you know, I look back and it was probably the best decision I ever made, so. Yeah, I certainly would agree. So, you know, I, I know we had been talking about this this first episode here, and I, I really want to get to the core of the fact that we had very different basic training experiences despite serving essentially our entire service contracts with each other, give or take a few months, really. And uh, I, I'd like for you to, to share with me, basically starting from day one, 
boots on the ground. You showed up to that Fort Benning airport, which I know everybody that has been to Fort Benning can remember, and had those drill sergeants line us up. So basically go from there, man. Yeah, yeah day one of basic training, huh? What we're, yeah, exactly. We're, we're t- we are, you know, actually somewhat of a, a relic, despite being quite young, of an older style of basic training you know we uh some of the things we did and some of the things that you know we went through as basic basic training soldiers they don't do anymore so you know i I do think it is important that we kind of establish that baseline for okay basic training how was your basic training day one and i'll start i'll I'll start backwards I'll, i'll backtrack a little bit so the way i was recruited is uh during that time that i spoke about earlier when i was 18 years old and had no freaking life direction goals or ambitions um once i made that decision that i was going to join the military i actually first off went into the 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 first branch i actually visited the first office you can say i stepped into was the marine corps office um because in my mind you know my grandfather's a marine so i'm thinking you know and you're always kind of told growing up that the marines are the best corps you know the hardest branch and you know they're you know you're just badass dudes, you know, and that's kind of what I wanted to be. Um, cause again, my, my mindset and my upbringing, you know, I was rebellious. I wanted to be that guy who went out there and fought, you know? So when I walked into the Marine Corps branch, I specifically asked to, to join the infantry, the 0311s. And, uh, um, of course the Marine Corps gave me that spill of, uh, you know, it's all about the Marine Corps needs and this and that. So I was turned off immediately. You know, if I couldn't get the job I wanted, I didn't want to, you know, go do anything else. And I'm not knocking any other MOSs within the Marine Corps. It's just, you know, me specifically, I wanted to go fight. Um, so I left the Marine Corps a couple of weeks later, went to the army branch and, uh, kind of sold me from there. Uh, took the ASVAB and again, not a big academic, you know, motivated person as you can tell by my story in high school. And you passed, you know, that's yeah, what matters. I passed, you passed. That's, that's, and that's my mindset That's at this time is uh, I passed. You know, I think the minimum score was 31. I got like 36, you know, and I didn't give a shit because I passed, you know. So I sit down and uh, ironically enough, I, I, and before this, I told the recruiter I wanted to be an infantryman. I wanted to be 11 Bravo. Um, and... Uh, According to my ASVAB score, I only qualify for 11 Bravo and 19 Delta, a Calvary Scout. So those were my only two options. And ironically, I want. So it was. Re- it was really just a good fit. <laughs> yeah, dude. It was uh, in my mind. It was a W. It was a win oh, because sure. uh, I got two combat MOSs. You know, so I basically asked him what was the difference between 11 Bravo and 19 Delta, and he explained to me. And I, you know, I thought being a Calvary Scout and the whole reconnaissance, you know, thing was pretty cool. So I joined, and. Uh, I was put on the, uh, the delayed entry program. I don't know if you know what the debt program, you ever heard of it? I have, yes. Yeah, so I I, I signed my contract and went to MEPS, I passed, you know, did the whole duck walk, the old guy checks the butthole, you know, uh, and yes. all that crap. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and then, uh, so even though I passed, I was on the delayed entry program. So I actually didn't ship out for another six months. Um, so, you know, my parents weren't too crazy. And by parents, my stepfather's in my life at this time. Um, so they weren't giving me such a hard time sitting on the couch because they knew in about six months my ass was going to be at basic training. And my stepfather is uh, at this time, he's now retired Navy 20 years, but at the time he was still active Navy. So he uh, kind of gave me a break knowing what I was going to get myself into. Um, so 
and you know, I, I just I will say here that is actually the first contrast between our two stories because I actually I was pretty heavy. I knew I was heavy. I was losing weight. I was working on my runtime, but I wanted to get into that delayed entry program mm-hmm. because I knew I was going to need more time to actually get through. Uh, you know, and feel ready, yeah. really. I mean, get through, I got through, but, you yeah, know, the, to be ready to go through basic training and be successful. The delayed entry program was nice. Um, what helped me out with that was the fact that I was kind of in decent shape coming out of high school playing football, but I'm glad I had it because, you know, in athletes, prior athletes or current athletes will, will know this, but, you know, football shape is totally different than, I'm sure you know too, I think you played ball, right? Yeah, point. I played football in high school. Yeah, so you know that football shape is completely different than military it, shape. It's bulk, know? it's heavy, it's power. Yeah, so, yeah. so the, the, yeah, so the debt program, those six months kind of helped me out. Um, anyways, after the debt program, uh, I got my ship date and uh, ended up going back to Los Angeles and then got on a bus around 4 a.m. the next morning and uh, shipped off to the LAX airport. Uh, flew from there and landed in Georgia and, uh, you know, growing up, I didn't. Other than my grandfather's, you know, I didn't have any friends that served in the military. I didn't have any uncles that served in the military, so I didn't really get any input on what the experience was going to be. So I was kind of, I felt like I was blind walking in, and you know, again, it was a huge adjustment period for me because I'm trying to figure out as a young eight-year-old man what the hell I'm doing with my life, and uh, you know, anyone who's obviously gone through basic training, you know, it's not something you can just get up and quit, you know. And I've never been a quitter. I've never, you know, quit anything really in my life. Um, and I, you know, I'm proud about that. So, you know, that wasn't my mindset. I never wanted to quit, but it sucked, man. I mean, you know how it is. You get the 38th AG and it's, you know, spent nine days there. And it was just complete hell, in my opinion, it was the uh, worst part of basic training. Boy, I'll tell you what, and this is where I'm going to just grab the microphone and say, yeah, my experience was very different than yours, but I can definitely agree with that fact that 30th AG is the worst place. So just to kind of give you a little bit more insight about where I was at when I was, you know, kind of going through this entry program, I went and did a couple of visits with these guys who, uh, you know, I think it was called the Future Soldier Program. And I had to drive about an hour to go visit with some of these, you know, recruiters that uh, my recruiter had actually reached out to and got them hooked up with me because my recruiter was from Minnesota, but I wasn't going to be driving all the way to Minnesota every time they had these meetings. Mm -hmm. So I ended up driving that hour to a town called Wausau, where I ended up meeting with those guys for about four or five weeks before I went to basic training. And that's where, is that where they do like PT and everything like that? They get you prepared? Yeah, you know, kind of get get you with the bend and reach, and then they do a little mock PT test and different little stuff like that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I show up, I get my phone call that tells me, you know, this is your shipping date. It was a lot sooner than I expected. Like I was saying earlier, um, I intended on doing some kind of a delayed entry thing, but because I get this, bro, the craziest thing, I forgot my driver's license the day I went to, uh, actually, um, enlist and like fill out my paperwork so I didn't actually have a driver's license in the system which omitted me from like three quarters of the jobs all because I was dumb enough to forget my driver's license and that's kind of just a testament to like those stupid little things we did as kids that like looking back it's like 
I, I went to go meet with a military recruiter and I didn't take my driver's license. Like, what was I thinking? You yeah, know? Yeah. But, but that being said, the army still provided me the opportunity to join the military that, right. which, you know, I find that to be quite interesting. So I'm, I'm excited. I'm happy for that. You know, I'm proud of the fact that I was able to serve despite my stupidity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when, when I thought of joining the military, it was, ne- it was nothing it couldn't be anything but combat for me. Yeah. I couldn't join the service. Well, let me ask this: Why, why combat? And I, I know I, I know the answer, but for viewers, you know, you know what what's the, what what you know because maybe maybe you can, you know, explain your thought process, you know, on why you wanted to join the combat arms compared to like you know an engineer and a medic, you know, because there might be somebody out there that wants to join combat arms, but maybe is you know, worrisome or is maybe doesn't know what he or she is getting herself into. So, um, right. So the reason why combat arms was the only real feasible choice for me was because kind of like you, I was angry, man. I had, yeah. a, I had a lot of anger. I had a lot of, you know, resentment. I, I don't know why I had a great childhood you know there was no reason for me to be as mad as I was but you know the way I looked at soldiers you know was the warfighter the uh, you know the the scene in Troy where you know he says and that's why no one's gonna remember your name after you're gone yeah. you know it, it's that kind of mentality that's honestly the mentality that I had when yeah. when I joined because I I almost had like a death wish really and it was like well if I'm gonna go out I might as well join the service. Yeah. Well, you know, so I I show up to maps and, you know, I'm clueless. I, I think I'm cool because I show up with this 18 x-ray contract that I got signed up for. But it's genuinely because I didn't have a driver's license and I asked my recruiter what the difference was between infantry and all these other things. And basically he told me that I would defer to infantry uh, if I didn't make it through the selection process. You know, he explained the whole selection process to me because, you know, it, it's an extensive pipeline. It's, it's no joke. And as someone who was, you know, on the pipeline pretty much all the way up until airborne school, it, you know, that's basically infantry OSET and airborne school after that you start two years of Q Q course so it's it's no joke and they don't they don't tell you these things you know when you sign up they tell you that it's nine nine weeks of basic Mm -hmm. training and then you know you go do a couple of weeks uh you know infantry OSET and you know you just you go from there you go to airborne school and and you go from there a selection process like there is if you're going from a line unit to there or do you skip selection because you're on that contract so the contract is a guaranteed slot for selection so it's like you know how back in the you know when we were serving that a guy would have to apply or put in a packet to go to selection this was my packet to selection and basic training makes sense so and air and airborne school so it was actually something that was set up to to kind of cater to the people who had higher asvab Mm -hmm. scores because i I scored a uh uh i can't i think it was like a 91 and then i scored a 118 on my gt so you know i was i had i had the the written test scores to pretty much get any job i want but i'm telling you bro i didn't have that driver's license so omitted like three quarters of the jobs in the army so i basically took the most uh 
the most beefed up contract yeah. basically with the most opportunities and and I had no idea what I was going to be capable yeah. of and I kind of had the mindset that I was going to try my best and wherever I landed in the service was where I was going to mm-hmm. land and honestly I, I thought I would be kicking indoors sliding down ropes and doing all that but looking back I, I genuinely am I'm happy that, you know, someone like me was not the special forces dude, you know, because I would want those guys to be as high speed as they really are. And I know that I'm not that high speed. I know speed. what, you know what's funny about so, that, you know, is, uh, again, I, I had no interest in, in selection special forces, which is why I never pursued that route. Uh, but, you know, it's funny you say that because, you know, I, I do have SF friends, guys on teams, and, you know, a good buddy of mine is a Navy SEAL right now. And, you know, talking to these guys... Uh, they've always always explained that like they respect the dudes that understand that they're not gonna go like they realize the guys that realize like hey I pursued this route you know what you know what it was a humbling experience and I'm not gonna waste any more of these fucking guys' time because you know I just I just get what you're what you're saying you know what I mean that for you to have that humble you know uh, outlook on on your experience. You know, and, and and having to go a whole 180 and, and jump into the Calvary world, you know, it's not. I don't think it's anything to be ashamed of. You know what I mean? It's a rigorous. It's a, you know, it's a it's a crazy program. Right, and and the contract that I signed really was, you know, a contract basically that let you failed gracefully, and I think that that's kind of what happened. I, I ended up signing a contract that said that I would defer to needs of the army if I didn't make it through any part of the selection process. And, you know, that's one thing you'll notice here is a common theme here is kind of having to overcome different bouts of failure. And, you know, I, I did not make it to the point of being able to get selected as uh, an airborne qualified individual, you know? So there's, but I still made it through infantry school. You know, I, I got my blue cord and uh, unfortunately just because of the way things buffed out, the way that I got put into eight weeks of an airborne holdover position. Which for so, our viewers, this is not a very common situation, right? Um, you know this Correct. normally, Correct. normally you know your story is something that you know you got the green weenie on and the green weenie is a term that you'll hear a lot in the military um but it's just right. it's just the shit it's, of the stick, it's an un- it's an unwanted advancement right. by the u.s yeah, army but you, you didn't quit at one point <laughs> man so you- correct correct and that was honestly the mindset i had i i I tend to have this mindset when I go into things, as you know, you'll you'll notice, is that I drink the Kool-Aid, man. I I listened to those drill sergeants. I said that infantryman's creed. I became the mindset of an infantryman. But unfortunately, because I signed a contract that said you will defer to needs of the army if you do not complete this, you know, selection mm-hmm. process. Uh, the scouts were uh, not under strength at the time. That's, you know, I joined back when promotion points for E5s were 25 points, you know. So, I mean, they were needing, they were needing scouts and I had the opportunity to go through infantry basic training and, you know, become a, uh, an insert Mm -hmm. to a OSET, the last back half of the OSET. What did you pick up on? For uh, so basically, it was week, the first day of week nine, we did a, we did a 
six kilometer muck, uh, ruck march and that was like basically day two so uh, we got there we drew equipment and it was like we were we were not treated like IET soldiers I will make that yeah. very clear we had privileges we had you know all those things that you would see people complaining about privates having these days but in all honesty I mean there was E5s in there that were you know changing their MOS I I went to to basic training through 515 CAV uh, to finish my OSET training and honestly I had someone that was a sergeant I had someone that was a specialist that was transferring over from a different unit yeah. there was a dude who was a marine so you know it we were a group of very diverse individuals that had you know either failed in some capacity to meet the needs of whatever contract we signed yeah. or we were prior service that kind of got that a little bit of extra uh, treatment you know yeah. that that the the privates the IET soldiers wouldn't have gotten yeah well, I had a couple of uh, prior service guys uh, one in particular from the Air Force older dude uh, I think he already been like 12 years and no one could figure out why the hell this guy's been in the Air Force 12 years and he bounces over to be a scout because uh, as you know it, OSA, and for those listening in if you don't know what OSA is it's one station unit training and the difference between OSA training which the infantry uh, goes off of in the cavalry I'm not sure about tankers and engineers and all that but from my understanding everything else outside of that uh, does what's called AIT. So you do your nine weeks of basic training. Uh, upon graduation, you get sent to what's called advanced individual training, which is where you actually train to do the job that you selected. Uh, in the OSUT world, you, uh, or let me backtrack, when you go to AIT, you no longer have drill sergeants, you have cadre. And cadre are usually normal soldiers, you know, NCOs that are a little more laid back and chill, you know, and from what I've been told, it's kind of like a college setting. You're training Monday through Friday, weekends off. You know, you got your barracks room, you share a kitchen, all that good stuff. Life's a little easier. And the OSA world... You're still you're still in, like, that brown round kind of environment, but at the same time... Yeah, you're still in the training environment, man, but you, it's really, it, you start to dial right. back a little bit. You start to realize you're getting ready to go off into your unit. And in the OSA world, that's not how it's... That's, that's not the case. Right. You, uh, from day one to... And for us, it's 18 weeks of OSA training. Um, from day one to, to week 18, upon graduation, you have drill sergeants the entire time. Um, so you don't get that, that break. Um, so for you to go from Sand Hill completing, you know, or going through infantry school, uh, basic training, and then coming over to the, to the cavalry world, uh, it must be a rough transition, man, because like you said, day two, you did a ruck march. You know, so yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I had, uh, I had my blue cord, I had my cross rifles, and eight weeks later, I had a rucksack on my back, and those cross rifles were told to never be seen. Um, and you know, it was just one of those situations where, yeah, it did kind of feel like everything I had, I had done was wasted, but I did definitely enjoy the benefits of, you know, I did get to leave, uh, post on the weekends as an insert so i you know i got to go to my church services i got to go out and get some food i got to you know actually see georgia for what it for what it could be you know for a duty station in the future or something like that so uh i i definitely feel like i took full advantage of my my situation as an insert and i i appreciate the diversity that it gave me so what would you say the uh biggest difference between infantry basic training and the cavalry basic training is and i know you got you know 
sent over and inserted into the 19 Delta OSET basic uh, a little later on in, in the uh, basic training uh, class, but what would you say the biggest difference was? I would say that the infantry training was definitely more of that classical trench warfare. Uh, I mean, we dug foxholes in our FTXs. We had to, you know, build up positions during every every FTX. We had to dig ranger graves, which is basically uh, a cut out in the ground that is about the size of you but it has to have like a two foot dip at your feet and it's where you would typically put your rucksack uh, and you know the idea was that if a grenade got thrown in there somehow you're supposed to be able to you know that grenade's going to roll downhill and you're supposed to be able to put your rucksack on top of it and increase your chance of survivability or something like that yeah and it's good cover concealment and all that type of stuff right it keeps i mean ideally a ranger grave you know as we were taught in the infantry school was you were supposed to be parallel with the ground ideally i mean definitely the the biggest difference i'd say doctrinally that i learned in the infantry world was when i was in a scout platoon you know training environment the use of radios and communication and calls for fire and vehicle ID and uh, I mean just the skills that they stress during those field training exercises were so much different than the infantry ones. The infantry ones was patrolling um, and uh, movement formations. You know, we were really big on you rucked everywhere, bro. Like you know, yeah. you know how in oh yeah. In uh, 515, you kind of every now and then you get cattle cards somewhere. Like infantry world, I'll be honest with you, we got cattle card maybe four times. We we rucked everywhere, bro. That was the old school, man. Yes, very much so. Um, Mm -hmm. But you know, once I got that paperwork telling me that I was going to be a scout, I mean, I'm not going to act like I'm upset because in reality, the scouts just walk less you know unless you're a dismount and then there's really no difference but uh you know ideally speaking a reconnaissance element should have more freedom of maneuver than an infantry element yeah and that's and that's mainly why i I joined the uh the cavalry over the infantry when explained to me by my recruiter and that's the one credit i give to my recruiter um is that you know he was a combat guy you know was tabbed up with the ranger tab uh, uh, 82nd Airborne uh, patch, deployment patch. Uh, I mean, you know, for being a recruiter, I mean, the guy had done some pretty high-speed shit. So I, I, he broke it down to me pretty well, and, and just the the fact that uh, the accessibility to, to weaponry and, and the, uh, the little more freedom, like you said, maneuver and, and tactics and things you can do on, in, in the battlefield as a scout, especially with the uh, reconnaissance aspect of it, um, I mean, going out there with your NVGs and your nods and sitting on top of a hill like we did in Syria, you know, 1,500 meters away and, and observing the enemy for 15 hours and reporting up to command. I mean, that was more appealing to me than, you know, uh, the infantry, you know, and I'm not knocking the infantry. I would have won infantry if I didn't have the cavalry uh, option, you know, but uh, uh, I have no regrets, man. You know, I, I enjoyed every second of it. Yeah. Basic. 
You know, I definitely got a lot more training with uh, equipment when I was going through that OSET for scouts because yeah. the infantry, I mean, you're a rifleman, right? You're either, I was, of course, naturally, they chose me to be the 240 gunner. So I was, uh, you know, if, for those who don't know me, I'm six foot five, 280 pounds. I'm a big dude. So I, I was naturally going to be that gunner and AG at the same time. I carried my ruck plus ammo plus the gun, you know, and, uh, I always strove to be that, you know, PG type individual who was kind of the platoon guide who was supposed to be this, you know, go between with the drill sergeants, you know, and I, I always tried to make myself at least, you know, be as, uh, as good of a soldier as I could be, just despite the fact that I had been reclassed because, you know, I kind of took that personally. Like, again, I wasn't good enough. So, you know, we, we adjust fire, we shift fire, we, we move from there and we, we make the best out of it. So I ended up graduating, you know, 515 Cav, uh, out of Ghost Troop. It was actually one of the, it was the second cycle it had ever done. So technically the first full cycle, it had only done a cycle of, uh, of the National Guard summer school style uh, basic training, and then you come back for your AIT a couple weeks later, uh, or, you know, when your summer's done or whatever the case may be. So I got to see really both sides of the doctrine of what an infantryman is taught and what a scout is taught. And I do believe that that gave me a good uh, base of understanding when it came time for deployment. You know, once we were in Syria, I, I, f I felt prepared. And I understand that that is a word that, you know, you who's really ever prepared, who's ever really prepared for a deployment, you know. But at the same time, being kind of born out of uh, watch the doors, kick the doors, you know, we did lots of glass house drills. I mean, hours and hours of glass house drills during that basic training. So I came into the scout world thinking, okay, I'm going to be a dismount because that's the new position that's expected. But, you know, I, I'm a door kicker, bro. Like that's the way I got raised. So when, you know, we got taken out on that first OP mission, I remember we walked 12 clicks that night and I was okay with it, but there was no covering consumer. There was no stopping for OPs. There was no, you know, it was just a different style of, you know, it's reconnaissance. It's different. Yeah. You're, it's you're, different. It's your, yeah. it's a different mission set. Yeah. And which is, uh, which is crazy, man. Cause, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, even myself thought that there was a lot of similarities in the way, but it's really two different worlds, you know, the, uh, infantry world and the cavalry world. And we all have one mission, right? One team, one fight, you know, that's what they preach. But, you know, and the reason I'm saying this, if you, you know, for our viewers that are listening, if you're thinking about joining, um, just know, you know, like I said, one mission, one fight, you know, you're, we're all combat arms, but it really is a different mission set. It's a different way of, of conducting that mission. And that's what I found appealing, man, about my services. I just, I just thought being a cavalry scout was badass, man. It was more than just throwing on that 40 pound ruck and, and grabbing your M4 and, or your, uh, you know, your AT4, your 240 Lima, 240 Bravo, you know, or, or just, you know, doing normal patrols. I mean, we're, we're working with LRADs, which, uh, you know, are long range surveillance systems, you know, we're doing vehicle ID. I mean, the toughest thing challenge for me during basic training, which um, I ended up really like enjoying uh, throughout my career training on was call for fire. You know, again, being not being a big classroom guy and sitting in front of books and PowerPoints and all that, um, 
you know, it was, it was tough for me to in basic training to learn. And in basic training, it's pass or go, right? It's either go or no go. So uh, for me, the academic portion of, of basic training was tough as far as uh, trying to memorize you know, 150 different tanks, you know, Tiger tank, T12, you know, T1, you know, all these, you know, different tanks that I've never even seen, you know, from other than fucking Call of Duty. You know what I mean? So that it was a right. Huge and it was you a, know, coming in as a civilian, everything everything that's got track is a tank, right? You know, and having to dis- dis- uh, distinguish off of exhaust systems and fuel tanks, and uh, you know, and then like you know, when we when we went on our deployment to Syria, it, w- it was totally different. You know, and that's you know a story from another another day. But you know, basic training is basic training. It's it's literally the basics. You know, everyone's a soldier. It doesn't matter if you're a cook or, you know, a, a scout or infantryman, you know, you learn to be a soldier. And, uh, you know, that's really what it matters in the day is you just pay attention to, 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 sh- to the basics, you know? Yeah. I mean, basic training, regardless of, of how you get through, you know, we, we sat here, we talked through our basic training stories and kind of, I mean, we could go into details all night long and we could, we could talk about different little things about the fights in the laundry room and, you know, the lockers getting turned. And I feel like that's kind of all been done before, you know, so we'll, we'll get, we'll get to those stories. And I'm, those are actually the moments that you kind of look back, you know, in retrospect is actually kind of the lighthearted moments you know and in the moment you know the anxiety's kicking in someone left their lockers open so now there's shaving cream and baby powder all over the floor you know it's it's a surreal experience but when you look back that's so funny I mean, the, these think about being a drill yeah. sergeant and and going to these private lockers because you have every right to do so, and just tossing their crap everywhere because they were negligent. And it's it's a lesson teaching yeah. moment, you know. Yeah, not only is it a lesson teaching, and it makes you a man, in my opinion, and you you face the challenges. But honestly, man, they're once you graduate, they're the best times. You know, basic training. There's multiple people that I went through basic training with and graduate with I speak to this day you know the friendships that you make and the brotherhood that is formed is uh is nothing nothing you can compare it to I mean obviously we got to the unit and we bonded our friendship right we created our own brotherhood and uh you know that's and that's the biggest thing I miss about it man is this you know it's not really the job itself it's not the training you know that was all great and fun and some of it sucked and you know but it was more of you know showing up you know five days a week when you're in garrison and 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 uh, being with the boys, man, going through the suck together and basic training was the same way. You know, you were just embracing the suck, you know, and as you looked around and as you got farther into basic and, you know, you're in red phase and now you're in blue phase and you're on two weeks from graduation, you're looking around and you just see all these guys that are still with you that are, that are still kicking, you know, and that's, it's a really awesome feeling, you know, and that's, and that's at that point, you know, is when I realized like, this is fucking what I want to do, you know? Yeah, you know, the stories that can come out of a basic training experience could be a podcast all of all in its own, you know, because basic training really is that that moment in time where a group of individuals comes together to actually assimilate and be broken down and kind of have their identities put on pause for a moment, which some of these guys have never done. You know, and right. put their identities on hold and become something new and there is a lot of value in that because I, I don't think that, you know, as a society as a whole, people aren't comfortable with change, let alone change that they don't necessarily have a whole lot of control over, 
which, you know, when you, you go to basic training, you relinquish some of your individual control, you know, and it's, it's a part of life. It's a part of learning to submit to authority. And I think that it's, it's intentional. Um, and it's, it has its purpose. And I think it definitely has its value because, you know, some of these guys coming in, they had no one to establish themselves as, you know, uh, a leader or, or, you know, a figurehead to look up to. So I remember hearing my drill sergeant telling me that he had to teach some privates how to shave. You know, these guys are coming yeah. in 22, 23 years old, never touched a razor a day in their life just because their daddy never taught them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there, yep. there's so many different facets to what basic training can be. But, you know, if, if you're thinking about joining, if you're thinking about getting into a situation where basic training is going to be coming and you need to prepare yourself, honestly, just get into the mindset of not quitting. Not quitting is, is, is yeah. the biggest thing. Allow the learning to happen. Accept it. Learn, yeah. you know, these tips and tricks that, you know, we're going to kind of impart throughout the series of our, of our podcast is going to show ways that you can be more successful, whether while you're trying to join, whether you're in, some recommendations we can give, or, you know, on your transition out. There's, there's so many different yeah. angles that, you know, we have to provide and, you know, we'd ask that you actually reach out to us and share your basic training stories. We'd, we'd like to hear from you guys. And like I mentioned earlier in the beginning of the podcast, you know, again, this is our first episode. We plan on obviously putting out more and, uh, you know, our goal is to, you know, get veterans on uh, aspiring soldiers, soldiers that are going to go in and it doesn't have to be just the army. You know, if you're looking to get in the Marine Corps, whatever branch, you know, uh, hit, us, hit us up on Instagram, you know, uh, ITW underscore podcast. Send us a message. You have a question, we'll, we'll answer it on the podcast. Um, we're planning on getting guests on uh, in the works. You know, um, you know if you're, you're a veteran that wants to, you know, put out, you know, give a shout out to your uh, nonprofit or your business or you have resources that, you know, you know that can help veterans or, or guide young men and women uh, that are, you know, aspiring to, to go and serve the country. Uh, and prepare them for basic training and what comes afterwards Um, again reach out to us um, and you know we need more of them you know the generations that are uh, you know coming up and you know the new world we live in with the social media and everything uh, don't don't stir away from it don't don't always believe the crazy horror stories that you you hear and uh, you know it was a great decision both you and I have no regrets and uh, uh, yeah man I'm I'm excited to see what the future brings and uh, yeah man yeah thanks thanks for joining us if you've made it to this point in the podcast definitely leave us a comment let us know what you liked what you didn't like you know this is this is a resource based concept we're we're here to share information to to gather stories and to just grow you know we're we're here to recognize that being a soldier or being in the military or you know serving in any capacity really for a for a group of people that may or may not like what you do there's there's a lot to that and it takes a certain kind of person to get through that and to to be selfless in a way that they would volunteer themselves or take it upon themselves uh, if they got drafted to make the most of it and actually serve their country to the best of their ability. Those are the individuals we're looking to speak with, you know, uh, 
everybody's story is going to be different on how they got in, what they did while they were there. You know, we, we talked earlier about relinquishing that power. We don't always have control over what happened to us during our, uh, our enlistment, but that's okay. You know, we're, we're here to offer resources to anyone who's willing to better themselves, to pursue that help and to, to, to grow. So thanks again for joining us on Inside the Wire podcast. My name is Ray Kessler. Yep, and I'm Josh Balkholtz. Again, make sure you hit us, hit us up on Instagram. Again, it's ITW, Inside the Wire underscore podcast. Again, don't be afraid to DM us. If you got any questions, if you know anybody that needs to uh, reach out to us, it doesn't necessarily have to be on the podcast. You know, if you know anyone that's struggling, if you're a veteran or you know a veteran that uh, you know just needs a resource, hit us up. It's all that matters.